Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. If you like our show, you're going to love You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen on Podcast One. Join the UFC superstar as he interviews the hottest names in MMA about the world of competitive fighting and more. Check out You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen every week on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. The July 18th edition of the PFF Forecast. We've got a special guest in the house all the way from Minnesota. No relation to Eric Eager, uh, blood-wise, but very close in terms of fandom. Matthew Collar's in the house. We're going to talk to him. We've got some news this week with Zeke, some Falcons contracts. We're going to talk about the Patriots, a little week one preview, and then we're going to close it out with some stories from the Cincy Y. Let's rock. Matthew, welcome in. How is everything going? How are you enjoying? I'm not there with you, so I can understand that it might not, the PFF HQ vibe might not be as great as you were anticipating, but has Eric managed to make you feel at home? No, it has been really great to come visit for a couple of days, broadcasting live here from the PFF studios slash a closet that they forced me into and said, (laughs) here, you can broadcast from here. And it is my first time in Cincinnati, Ohio slash Northern Kentucky. So uh, I've been happy to be here. George, we went to Nada last night, which you and I have been to a number of times. Delicious. And it was delicious. Good food here. Okay, that's that, that is the first time I've heard that take. So uh that's good to hear. I'm not going to uh, get into a, the Minnesota food thing, but it's um it's just okay, not really a, it's, not, it's not really a specialty of Minnesota's to have unbelievable food. So I go other places and I try some stuff and I'm happy. I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh I went to Minnesota a few times last year and I thought I had a great meal each time and I'm trying to remember where it was that I went. I'm going to pull it up here in a second. Um, was it something stable. Um, it was a place in Minneapolis that was like in an old stable. Oh, awesome food. So I don't know what you're talking about. I think. <laughs> OK, I think well, you, you have to understand, George, that I'm like a pizza person, pizza and wings. Uh-oh. I'm very simple. I am not advanced okay. with my food takes. So maybe it's maybe it's a me. This problem. is this is George getting more data on the fact that there are probably more people that eat like me than eat like him. Um, so uh, but th- nonetheless, uh, I, I've sort of gravitated more towards the way George eats lately. But uh, but it, it but my my uh, initial position was sort of more pizza wings burgers all that stuff i I grew up george in buffalo new york uh, the land of the wing so they do great pizza there they do great wings there great bar food there so it's a little bit different and then when i was moving from buffalo to minnesota we drove through wisconsin and there they have cheese curds 
that are incredible. There you go. So I get to Minnesota and I'm looking for pizza. I'm looking for wings. I'm looking for cheese curds, and they just don't have them there. And no, and and I and well, you're not looking at me now, but I try to stay in a little bit of better shape now that I don't have those things. Well, I'm a huge wing guy, so I, I enjoy a pizza every now and then. It's got to be a real good pizza before I'm willing to to make that commitment. But I've found the volatility in wings is high. Oh yes. Oh yes. I just tend to make my own and I will, I'll just buy some wings. I'll marinate them in a little olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, throw them on the grill. And then if you find a good hot sauce that you like, it's really not that hard to make great wings at home. So I am now almost exclusively a wings at home guy, but this is exactly the content that people tuned in for. <laughs> let's get let's get to um, a few uh, icebreaker questions for you, Matt. So one we always like to start with, what is your favorite drink? Uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, I would say, is my favorite drink. So, the, Uh-oh. <laughs> so I, I found this out the hard way. So the first time I ever, when I was still teaching at UW, I, I had Matthew over to give a talk to some of my like business calculus students about like what it's like to use math when you're not a math major type of thing. And I, I took Matt to my favorite restaurant next to the university and I ordered two beers and I drank two beers because Matthew doesn't drink and I did not know this. And, and so, uh, I stumbled back to my car, but it was, it was, yeah, it was something I didn't expect, but yeah, I mean, that's, it it normally doesn't really come up. I just order a diet Coke or diet Pepsi, and then we just go on with our lives. But at that point I I had to say, yeah, you're just, you're going to have to handle that one yourself because, uh, George, I've never had a drink in my life other than the diet Dr. Pepper. Being from Buffalo, that is very oh, surprising. I know, I know, right? Two I, things about that story that I find not surprising at all is that Eric got sloshed after two beers. <laughs> um, uh, that, that's the, the least surprising of the two. But the most, uh, the most surprising is that you're from Buffalo and you don't drink. I would ask you this, though. Um, I'm not sure which is better for you, two beers or one diet Dr. Pepper. Mm, yeah, well, that's or, a great point. Um, I don't so know. Maybe, I don't know the reconsider. answer to that question. I try to never Google it. Like, if there's something you enjoy <laughs> doing, don't Google it. My wife and I, when we bought a house, it was fairly close to the airport, and she made the mistake of Googling living near the airport. And it's like, Uh-oh. oh, well, you're going to get cancer and die if you live near an airport. Of course, you know, like everything is bad if you research it. So I just try to never look. But it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that for some reason I don't have a great explanation. I just never started. So when is a great time to start drinking? Like I could, I could never, okay. I mean, maybe bill season would be the argument for a lot of people in <laughs> Buffalo, but uh, yeah. I have, I have been witness to the tailgates though. I haven't stood there closely when someone jumped through a flaming table, but I have walked by it all. And it is as amazing as it looks online. Even, even if all you've been drinking is diet, Dr. Pepper, that says something. I'm watching uh, everybody else uh, partaking basically. <laughs> All right, so let's let's go to the the next question, which is, what is your least favorite holiday and why? Ah, uh, least favorite holiday is probably. Um, well, I mean, as a grown up, do you get to the point where you have favorite holidays? Even, I mean, I, I guess maybe you do, but I, I usually end up working on all of the holidays, and I'm not sure which one matters the most. Least favorite. I mean. Thanksgiving, now that I don't live close to my grandparents, is probably my least favorite now because when I did live close to my grandparents, not only was my grandma is uh, an amazing cook, but also she would specifically make a pie just for me. She knows how much I enjoy her pumpkin pie, so she would make one that I could take home. But now, since I live 1,500 miles away, I am on my own to make food on Thanksgiving, and um, you're telling me that the 11 a.m. Detroit Lions game is not a, a competent substitute for a pie. But this, the thing is that a lot of times recently the Vikings have been playing on Thanksgiving. So yeah. I end. Although I will say this as a reporter, if you get that Thanksgiving game, yes, you have to be away from your family. Yes, you have to wait till way after the game to have dinner and all that sort of stuff. But Sunday comes around. And you're not working, you and the rest of the NFL is. <laughs> That's good. Oh, so there you go. I, I, I think this is an easy one, personally. Um, and I think that my least favorite holiday is, without a doubt, 
um, the New Year's, New Year's Eve shebang. Oh, sure. I yeah. find that to be massively overrated. Um, and so that that's mine. Oh, I, Eric, do you have a okay, take on yeah. this? Well, that, I mean, I would agree with you on that because what do I do for that? I yeah. just, you know, stay home. Yeah, see, like, I just ignore that one. Same um, with St. Patrick's Day. Like, what am I supposed to do on St. Yeah. Patrick's Day? You know the one that uh, always... And, drink and, beer. <laughs> this is the problem. There was, <laughs> there was always this, um, there was always this, like, no matter what, we had to get to my in-laws for Easter. Um, and this was when we lived in Nebraska, Cincinnati, like, and, and it's just like Easter is like this one day and you might get a random day off on either side of it, but it's like... That one was always the biggest hassle was like, oh, hey, you live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Let's drive to the middle of Wisconsin for one day. So that was my least favorite for a while. But um, but I, you know, I I just sort of do my own thing anyway. And so even though people might be upset with me for not you know observing holidays, it doesn't really bother me so much personally. All right. Next up, uh, I think we got a sense of what your your favorite meal might be. But if you had um you had to go the rest of your life, and there was one thing that you wanted to make sure you never had to eat. What would it be? Uh, th- that I never had to eat. Yeah. I'm going to go with kale. I never want to eat kale. I've tasted it. I don't like it at all. I don't want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to smell it. I want things with meat or pizza or wings, and that's it. I've said before that I eat like Ron Swanson, and I am right. not going to eat and- the food that my food eats. And Al Michaels, apparently. Does he eat that way? Uh, yeah, he's in no greens ever. Awesome. And look how long he's lived. He's got great hair still. There you go. I think it's natural. Um, <laughs> uh, a legend. An absolute legend. You and, you and Al Michaels, basically the same person. Kale, not eating kale is a hot take for me. Is he it? eats kale pretty much every day. I, I, I strangely... Uh, despite the way, despite my, you know, the, the vibe I give off, I will eat kale straight. Interesting. So what, what's the purple leaf when they give you some sort of salad that they're really proud of at a restaurant? Like, Oh, look how much uh, stuff it has. in it. what's the purple thing? The purple thing tastes terrible. And I, I don't, I eat around the purple every time. What is that? I don't, I don't know. So generally the kale that I eat is, uh, I get the green kale. Um, yeah. well, I don't know if purple is, is kale. It's just purple, and it doesn't taste good. I don't know my green. take. Hates purple food. Hates, <laughs> hates purple <laughs> leaves. That's another reason. It's unnatural. Matt, how are you going to cover the Vikings and hate and hate purple oh, things? No. Yeah. Actually, that's, just that's just par for the course. we got to go on Vikings uh, Reddit now. People ask me that all the time. Of Like, do you, like you're a Vikings fan, right? And, like, uh, no reporters are fans of the team. There, are, I mean, there's. I'm sure you could find somebody somewhere, TV reporters, who might be like, yeah, go team or whatever. But if you're a beat reporter on a daily basis, you're not going to be a huge fan of the team. And when any, anytime anyone ever asks me, like, uh, or says like, oh, dude, you're doing my my dream job of covering my favorite team. I'm like, dude, you would not want necessarily the people that you love the most to be really rude to you a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, all right, last question: What is your favorite non sports podcast? Okay, so there is one podcast I can pull out my phone and look up the exact name of this where. A guy interviews different guitar players. I know this is hard because li- I pulled out my podcast and it's like Zach Lowe, PFF. Uh, there's a WNBA podcast I listen to. There's the Daniel Jeremiah one. It's like it's literally all football and sports podcasts. But there is one that is about guitars that I listen to called No Guitar is Safe, where they uh, the guy goes and jams with a bunch of different famous guitar players. And I play guitar, so it's awesome. That's cool. Is, uh, has Carlos Santana ever been on that? Uh, I don't believe so, no. It's mostly have people... Have you bought the Santana ticket set, George? Mostly people you'd have to have YouTube to know no. who they are, basically. Okay. All right. Uh, Eric and I, along with Neil, are going to be going to see Santana. Really? Ever... Okay. Yeah. The, the tough thing is that the tickets are kind of expensive, so yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find some somewhat... Uh, we went Anyways. to uh, White Snake together after I wore the crop top on the podcast. You so. actually went to White Snake? Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the three of us. So it was a lot of fun. Okay. News cool. of the if week. You like guitars, hit, hit Matt up. Yeah. Let's get into it. So uh, we'll make sure at the beginning of the podcast, let people know that 
uh, they can skip 15 minutes ahead. <laughs> this is your boy, Eric. This is the big news of the week. Zeke? Yeah, I mean, so Ezekiel Elliott uh, is, I mean, there's, there's rumors. I, he hasn't actually announced this formally yet, but there's rumors that he has told uh, people in private that he plans to hold out until he gets a new contract. Of course, we, we, our friend Dan Orvlosky on ESPN has said, you know, there's, you know, the Cowboys are undefeated when he gets 23 or more touches. That's actually not true, but you know, we've we've heard people stand for Zeke. We've heard the analytics community say Zeke actually isn't that important. Uh, it's been another it's been another week where we've argued about running backs uh, and gravity at the same time. So uh, interesting, I think. Uh, you know, again with Melvin Gordon last week, now Zeke, we're we're firmly talking about running backs uh, and their value again. George, is there something we can do with this conversation about running backs? Because every time it comes into my Twitter feed, it's always the exact same. It's uh, somebody who played in the NFL like Dan Orlovsky sort of played and uh, you know analytics people that I follow and basically the analytics people are throwing tons of data at this person to show them hey yeah most running backs are pretty replaceable and then the guy says yeah but did you play the game and then you say well no but I studied you know it's just on it's like the same thing going round and round is there a next level to this conversation or a different conversation that's coming about running backs because I, I feel like we've reached sort of this breaking point where everyone's at an impasse and doesn't know what else to say about it so here's the thing that i find really interesting about this conversation is the former player always feels this deep connection to the player and so i i find you know the dan rolowski thing i think dan rolowski is a fairly he seems to be trying to be a progressive thinker and in this situation he just like reverts into the stone age you know, it comes to the passing game, he's usually got good things to say. And then all of a sudden it's a, you know, are you on the side of the player or are you on the side of the ownership and then making smart decisions? And it seems like the player just always sides with the player. So I think at some point they're just going to be wrong so many times in a row. You know, eventually the front offices are going to get clued into the fact that spending all this money on Todd Gurley and Zeke Elliott and all these different players is not good for their team. And then they're going to have to face the music, I think at some point, but I'm not sure that the butting of heads between former player and nerd with a computer is ever going to end because the, the nerd with the computer just makes comes off. So, you know, nerdy and does not really, we don't do a great job. I just said, we, I don't know if I want to put myself in that that area well your your um, twitter is mostly just jokes and then and then and then statistics right like you don't you don't actually wade into these waters which i think is pretty smart but but it just seems to me like there's both sides are so diametrically opposed about what they feel um, matters and how they have you know made a living slash been successful so it's going to really take i think some um some some former players who are you know mathematically inclined and some mathematically inclined people who are able to speak in you know a, a tone that is not really off-putting to come together i i kind of like it though i think it, it's funny well, well it is it is entertaining for sure but after like an entire off season of the same question being asked and thrown around in the same debate. But I, I was thinking about this for, for both of you guys. I'm curious about your thoughts is that there are a number of running backs who aren't just running backs. They do so many different things that they are great blockers in the passing game, great mm -hmm. receivers. You have Christian McCaffrey lining up as a receiver and catching over a hundred balls. Like I, I'm thinking George about the, distinction between running backs who are limited in what they can do they can run into the flat and catch the ball and that's about it and running backs who can run vertical routes and go down the field and become huge weapons in the passing game that we've only seen in the past a handful of guys you could ever think of but now there's this emerging crop who can do so much more i wonder if those guys are going to be worth well, paying and historically those players had always played for efficient offenses right so marshall falk for the rams roger craig for the niners uh, even like Emmett Smith was a great, like ran between the tackles, but he also caught like 60 balls a year. Right. So like even he for a, an efficient offense was, uh, you know, that way. And now it, it does get to the thing where, you know, I, I sort of get discouraged because I think if, if this particular season 
wasn't enough evidence for people that like the particular running back that's doing the running doesn't matter, then are they ever going to be swayed? Right? Because we saw, you know, Denver cut CJ Anderson, who is a thousand yard back, replace him with an undrafted rookie that becomes an a thousand yard back. CJ Anderson eats his way out of a job in Carolina, goes on to the Rams, is more efficient than Todd Gurley, right? James James White is literally like the most valuable Patriots back, even though they drafted Sonny Michelle in the first round. He becomes the most valuable back in the playoffs as well. All those kinds of things. And like we're still having these same discussions. So part of me is just like, okay, well, allow them to think that way because people that don't. And then there's this other issue that we're not even talking about. Like the problem isn't even well described, right? There's this issue of does running the football matter that much? And then the question of who is doing the running is 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 another thing because running does matter in certain circumstances, um, but that doesn't mean the guy doing the running is all that differentiable from uh, another player. So I agree with your point that I think the the more that they can do, the better. But there is also this thing that we've discussed, which is throwing to the running back is simply not that efficient relative to throwing to tight ends and receivers. So so you can even like you can sort of. Uh, trick yourself into thinking, oh, Saquon Barkley's still going to be valuable because we're going to throw the ball to him a, a yard behind the line of scrimmage every play. So it's, I don't, it's a really interesting discussion. I get a little discouraged that we're ever going to like get to a, an agreement, but that at the same time, that's what makes it kind of fun. What I think is so interesting about this is we're talking about running backs. The word running is in their name. And then we're talking about, well, what makes them really valuable is their receiving capability. Mm-hmm. It, well, the big problem there is that you're taking guys who traditionally – have built a body type and a skill set that is made for trying to take like a beating, right? Getting tackled in between the line of, uh, in between tackles all the time and say, well, your most valuable asset is, can you be a receiver? Well, the best receivers are receivers. So what I really think we're getting closer and closer to is the realization that running the ball can be done by probably most football players. And it's more of a team centric scheme. How good is your run blocking thing? And what really separates players, and we see this when we look at, um, you know, wins above replacement, for example, what are things that are valuable that a player can do? And that's catch the ball. And so you're going to see more guys like, I don't know, Cordero Patterson, for example, who probably guys that are actually better at catching the ball than Cordero Patterson are going to line up in the backfield because when you do that and you have some viable threat of a run, you get this linebacker who can't cover. And then once that player goes out and runs a route, they're far more um, you know, lethal. They can run down the field. They can run a wider route tree. Really, the only guy that we've seen do that in any shape or form has been David Johnson. And if you look at David Johnson, you go, wow, that guy really isn't this short squat, you know, running back type guy. He is super fast. He's long. Um, he can do things that, that most receivers can. So I think we're sort of looking at it the wrong way. And I would expect, you know, I don't want to shout my Niners out here, but maybe they're making a shrewd move by getting some uh, some wide receivers that kind of have a have some time playing multiple positions and they can attack the defense. Oh, but play. George, they also got Tevin Coleman Stop. and Jared Stop. McKinnon. So here, here's the thing, and I agree, I agree with you 100%. And this is why I will push back on this idea that Mike McCarthy was a huge boob because, frankly, or in those like 2013-2014 seasons, who was playing running back a lot for them? It was Randall Cobb. Right. And then Randall Cobb, you know, and then late in like 2016, they put Ty Montgomery there. I absolutely agree with you because the thing is a defense that was injured. That was because of injuries. Well, not Cobb so much. Cobb Cobb was playing back there as sort of like they would go with empty. And then he would play yeah. back there. But Montgomery, sure. But the, and then the Patriots, right? The Patriots, one of the smartest teams in the league, who they put in the backfield, Cordero Patterson, right? And, and I think that that's sort of the next trick is when a team goes dime and they play that, like, Jayon Buchanan at linebacker. They play, you know, the uh, Derwin James at linebacker. That guy's going to be able to eat up a running back who's not used to running routes. But you know who might be a mismatch for that player is a wide receiver, right? And, and you have that wide receiver running that, like, choice route in the middle of the field. That might be a mismatch. I do, th- and I do agree with you that that might be the next sort of like uh, hack for teams that are trying to get value out of that position, but maybe they don't have to look at that position group specifically to get it. Well, Jarek McKinnon well, told me a couple of years ago that he had been working extremely hard on developing a route tree, and the Vikings never really used it that much. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder if San Francisco will with him use him as a slot wide receiver things like that because there was one particular play against the Cowboys where they lined up McKinnon as, as a, in the slot and he ran kind of one of those in and out type of routes 
totally burned the linebacker and was wide open for a touchdown. And they just really didn't go back to it a whole lot. But I'm thinking when it comes to future running backs, that that's what we see is guys who start to develop these skills way earlier to have an actual route tree. And and think about how often the Bears ran vertical routes with Tariq Cohen. Mm -hmm. And that that type of guy can play a slot receiver or he can play a running back. And then it's going to be up to them to kind of fight for what the value of that position is because it's going to be kind of modern and different. Yeah, it's so hard in my opinion, right? So if you're developing as a player, is it easier to go from receiver, right? You develop receiver skills and then come back down and play running back. I think like it's my hypothesis that that's an easier transition, much like tight end to fullback, right? Is an easier transition from fullback to tight end. Yeah. Wide receiver, running back to receiver is probably a harder transition to make than receiver to running back. And so, uh, yeah, I think we're all sort of in agreement here that that might be the next like cool evolution. Yeah, especially because defenses, at some point, I think, I hope, and I think we might be seeing this with some defenses already, the pass is going to always be at the forefront of teams' minds. I think maybe what the, what the Patriots did going 22 and then five wide against the Rams and the Super Bowl might be burned into some defensive coordinators' minds, but it's still, there's probably still going to be an edge there where they're just going to be personnel matching and so you get these guys that you just call them a running back and then <laughs> then they send out an extra linebacker and you're in good shape. Uh, let's move on to the uh, couple other actual signings, both of which uh, for our Falcons, the um, PFF sponsored Falcons, Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones. I think we might have had a conversation earlier in the year, Eric, about if you had to sign one of them, you know, who would you, who would you extend? And both of us would have probably taken Deion Jones. Are you still of that mind? Absolutely. I, you know, Jones is that player that is capable of evolving with the evolution that we just talked about, right? He's, he's fast, you know, he, he has safety sort of movement skills, but he's, you know, sturdy enough against the run. He's, you know, he's the type of player you really want in the middle of a modern defense. Um, interestingly, though, th- sort of thinking about this from a perspective of projecting players, right? Grady Jarrett was a player, I believe, in like Renner's article in like 2015. Basically, it said like this is a steal of the draft. Getting him in the fifth round, you know, he had all the measurables, all the things that we were good, uh, you know, our first year at, at measuring college players with PFF grades. Like we had for, foreseen him and Trey Flowers as sort of these these uh, these great steals for their teams uh, in the later rounds. Deion Jones was somebody who. Like we needed to see his like sort of traits to really see because he didn't grade all that well for us out of LSU. But when you sort of immediately once he got into the Falcons, you could totally see what taking like a defense with Paul Worlow at linebacker and putting in Deion Jones, how that sort of speed, you know, sort of impacts a defense. So it was sort of an interesting teaching point for us in sort of trying to evaluate college to pro players. Well, that, that's what's so interesting. You hit on that that whole idea of value versus consistency and when you look at the two contracts grady jarrett's older he's getting more money and he does something that is less valuable right the coverage of Deion jones is going to be more valuable than the pass rush and you know potential run stuffing ability of grady jarrett that's what's so interesting to me i, I don't know what what are your thoughts matt on the positional value that the falcons are stating here in the way that they've extended both these guys well what's interesting to me is having covered the vikings that they've been able to find three technique defensive tackles who can rush the passer kind of on the heap on the on the garbage heap i mean they get tom johnson who's a cfl player and he has a really good career as a rotational player just coming in and rushing the passer is an undersized guy that everybody passed over and new orleans had for a couple of years and didn't use him really at all and then all of a sudden he's playing 50 60 percent of snaps getting five or six sacks a year getting a good number of pressures from that spot and i wonder about um, that position, the three technique defensive tackle, if you're going to pay him, he better be really, really good. And then you can pay him. If he's Aaron Donald, if he's Fletcher Cox or, or whatever else, or if he has versatility and he can line up over a center and dominate a center or get into a gap 
and, and win that way, then you want to pay that guy. But when I saw you know, Jarek get the contract he did, I thought it's a little too much for a position where maybe there are other guys who can do that. And, and I think there's a lot of undersized players who will slip under the radar the same way Jarrett did. So you found him, but you don't think you can find anybody else who can maybe do that same thing. And I definitely think with uh, offenses going to throwing to the running backs all the time, throwing over the middle to the flat routes all the time, or to the underneath routes and throwing to the outside to the flat routes and things like that, that when you have a linebacker with that type of speed and athletic profile who has some instinct for the game, that it gives you a huge advantage. So it's rare that I think we would say that someone who's a linebacker has more positional value than someone who does have sacks, but in this case, it's probably the case. Yeah, it's interesting. I think for for this particular issue it's very much for the for the falcons that they failed to get uh, edge pressure right because you look and you know edge pressure pressure for pressure is more valuable than interior pressure because edge pressure comes more quickly it forces more turnovers all that kind of stuff interior pressure certainly you know prohibitive for a quarterback um, but you would prefer to have edge pressure and the issue with them is they you know Vic Beasley has been a bust so far um, Tack McKinley has not done what they've wanted him to do right they even I believe they brought Bruce Irvin in a season ago and he didn't do a whole lot they brought Adrian Claiborne back after one year uh, of winning a Super Bowl with New England and they, they don't simply have the horse on the outside and they're thinking to themselves much like the Vikings in the 90s if we don't have edge pressure we better get interior pressure and and I think even back then that was sort of a faulty faulty you know thing for a defense to do but uh you know for the Falcons I think they want to get pressure somewhere and they know pressure you know pressure rates and all that kind of stuff is predictive so they overpaid in this situation for Jarrett uh, moving forward I, I think also George there's another layer to the conversation with the Falcons that reminds me of the team I cover in, in Minnesota is they had such a good year in 2016 and we're right there in the conversation 2017 despite some offensive regression that they felt the need to pay everyone who was involved with their winning teams where the the Vikings seem to have felt the same way it's like you guys found these players and built these players into excellent starters but then you kind of are going with the devil you know type of theory of we know Grady Jarrett is going to be this good and he was part of the team that was really good so we have to keep him and I think that is a little bit of something teams do to themselves Mm -hmm. on the defensive side especially when they have some type of successes they feel like well these guys uh, we know they're good and the replacement might not be as good and they kind of in a way do it out of as much fear as necessity well I think Eric hit on hit it on the head too with the whole fifth round thing it's okay we we've we've nurtured this guy he has been obviously a hard worker Mm -hmm. he's exceeded expectations so much you know and i think that it's so hard uh for people that are with you know these players every day to to do what belichick does to do what we're trying to do which is to you know look at these um uh, these players as components and assets which is obviously a very dehumanizing thing to do. And that's not, um, you know, I don't want it to sound that way, but if you're trying to build a winning team, you have to divorce yourself from your feelings towards the person and, and think about the value of the player. And it is, it's obviously easier uh, said than done, but I, I think that's, that's very much the case. I think the fact that he's been a part of this team for so long, he's overcome these expectations. He was a part of the team that got so close. Certainly Dion Jones was too. And I think that's why we see that extension. I mean, it, it's a pretty big extension. I probably, I, I think the the Deion Jones one is fine. I'd only see the value of those linebackers increasing. I probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger on on Grady Jarrett, given especially that we drafted him in the fifth round. Uh, but so so this this brings us to the to the interesting discussion about linebackers, right? Because Matthew was saying it's sort of tough to talk about linebackers that way. But we've said on this show, there's probably what six true linebackers that you would prefer in the league over a safety you know so and, sure. and I think Jones lands in that list and so much like the court you know we talked about this earlier this offseason with quarterbacks it's the same thing right there's about eight quarterbacks in the NFL that I have no issue with the team giving like the, the equivalent of a max contract to and then after that 
you know, you just sort of, you, you know, you roll the dice again, right, and, and draft and develop and all that kind of stuff. I think at linebacker, it's probably that much as well. You know, you're talking about the Keekleys and the and the Wagners, and I think Jones falls into that category even after just three seasons and one of them being sort of abbreviated with an injury. And, and this is something we've debated quite a bit in Minnesota with Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks and the <laughs> Vikings locking into both of them. And, and I wrote a big article, George, about uh, Anthony Barr, and the reasons why they paid him is in part because it's very difficult to find somebody who is the type of size of Anthony Barr with his speed as well. So if you want him to be an edge rusher, he can be. If you want to stop the run, he can. And then he can also cover man coverage with running backs at six foot five, two sixty, which you know eliminates some throwing lanes and, and things like that. But there's the other side of it of well, when you look at his PFF grades, there's some inconsistency in his game, and well, his high end might be worth that. The lower end at times might be a reason why you wouldn't decide to bring him back and pay him that much. Uh, I generally think that if we're going to say that it's really valuable to have, even though you guys don't want to pay running backs, it's valuable to have that part of your offense that you can throw over the middle, that you can check down out of the backfield and get big plays and yards after catch and things like that. And with tight ends running down the seams and now tight ends are running screens where they go underneath the formation and all these complicated things then it's hard to say yeah well linebackers they don't matter though mm-hmm. like well okay but offenses are doing all these things that attack linebackers so i think that they do but it's just the right kinds of linebackers who are preventing those things from happening very much i think that Deion jones probably could have covered todd Gurley. <laughs> yeah uh, on a wheel route yeah i think i think the ran. difference between <laughs> Deion jones and and anthony barr who, who i think anthony barr is a great player Their species but, <laughs> Anthony Barr. There, there is an interesting backstory to that touchdown, by the way. Yeah. That um, they had prepared all week for that play to be an option left or right. And then McVeigh basically was one step. Pulled their pants down. Yep, yeah. That they had never they had never used that to go vertical. So Barr's read was entirely, is he going to go left or right? Yeah. And then Barr's pants he, were pulled down so many times yes. in that game that they were ripped seams. Well, and that's the tough part about when we talk about value. Barr, I think, play, game for game is a small positive for his team. But the negatives are so bad, right? You're talk, when you like oh, 2016, he was victimized so much in the passing game by tight ends and running backs. And then in that, in the Rams game, he was victimized to a point where he was sort of the, the one of the defense's main reasons for losing. And he's, he as a linebacker is just going to have such a hard time accumulating that value back in all the other 15 games of the season. Yeah, so. that, that game is really interesting though, because I credited much more Sean McVay than I criticized Anthony Barr on that because no one would ever say yeah, actually, he should be uh, running with Cooper Cup. Like, I, I don't know too many linebackers, even the fastest and best, who can run with a, a star wide receiver in almost any circumstance. And two of the touchdowns that were scored against him came with star wide receivers running by him because someone else missed their assignment. The rest of the season, he barely allowed anything because Zimmer tweaked, made a tweak with the way that they were handling some of those plays. But to your point... It's all about, with Anthony Barr, what you get versus what you're paying. Mm -hmm. I mean, this year he's got a $5.6 million cap hit with the way his contract is structured. Okay, well, that's definitely a good deal, I think, for someone as unique as Barr. But then it goes up into the double digits, and that's where you say, all right, well, is that really going to be worth it for you in 2021 when he's got a 14 or $15 million cap hit? Probably not. Yeah, I agree. Um I had on here to talk about Madden ratings. Yeah, let's not care about Madden ratings. Yeah. <laughs> When's the last time you played Madden? Uh, 2011. I, I, it was Tebow mania. So I just ran, uh, right. I ran the, uh, the option all the time. So I, uh, just, you, I just the other day, someone gave me Madden, I think 2018. And then I downloaded the new rosters because people on there will make all the new rosters. And then I played several games, and that will probably be it for a very long time. But the great thing about downloading the new rosters was whoever made it made everything accurate, all the players accurate, all the names, everything else, but changed one name. Ryan Fitzpatrick, they changed to Ryan Fitzmagic. That was the only oh, difference, and that, and that made it worth it. That made it worth my time of an hour of playing Madden. But I, I haven't found much time to play it other than that. Yeah, I don't think I've played it uh, since I was high school. 
a long time ago. One thing that I, I did want to mention that I, I didn't during the, the Z conversation was if you go back and you read some of the things that people have, have posted on there about how important Zeke is to the offense, there's a couple of important things to keep in mind. A lot of the chunk that he missed um, you know, over the past couple of seasons coincided with time that Tyron Smith was out um, for the Cowboys. And I always think that's an enlightening thing for people to understand is that you can con- construct these narratives around statistics that can actually be misleading completely. Um, and so if you just look at the Cowboys with Tyron Smith on the field, they were a more efficient team without Zeke than they were with Zeke on the field, average more yards per play. Um, and and yet people are going to try and point to the play action numbers and all these things. Play action, incredibly small sample size. Without Zeke on the field, they just ran play action 16% of the time, just like 8 to 10% below the league average. So important to keep a view of the macro um, side of things with the Zeke uh, contract. Can we also like, mention that the do. Dallas Cowboys were 21st last season in yards per play? You're talking about if you're – if we concede to everybody that he's the engine of that offense, that's a bottom third <laughs> offense in the NFL yes. anyway. They were, they had the same yards per play last year as the Oakland Raiders. They were one-tenth of a yard per play better than the Bengals and one-tenth of a yard per play worse than the Broncos. They're not a good offense. This is the, like the, fa- the idea that Zeke is some super, like he's Emmett Smith. It, no, I mean that the, the, this offense is not the 93 Cowboys. This is the you know, 2018 Dallas, you know, Dallas Cowboys with Jason Garrett calling plays and them lucking themselves into a bunch of close wins last year. Like, let's not obscure the fact that like, this isn't a great team. Look, I love my Subaru. I've just I've got to pay whatever it takes to keep it going. Uh, let's go into the uh, the Patriots here. So the Patriots obviously they win the Super Bowl last year. But what was interesting about the Patriots is that there was a large chunk of the season that really up until the playoffs, where I think there were almost everyone would say, yeah, they're not the Patriots of old. They're definitely a different team. Brady has declined a little bit. And a lot of Brady's numbers did decline a little bit. His passing from a clean pocket wasn't as great. His rate of negatively uh, graded plays increased last season. And then all of a sudden the playoffs roll around and it seems like a flip switch. Did you guys feel the same way? To me, that was it was almost a surprise Patriots Super Bowl where I feel like almost none of them ever are. Interestingly, we had as their projected win total last year, 10.95. Um, and they ended up with 11. So it, I think often we, we've just – the Patriots have, have sort of run good, you know, for the last, I don't know, decade, two decades. And, and I think last year was just more of, a, a, you know, they had two, uh, three stinker games, right? Um, and if you count the Steelers game, they were sort of handled in that game. They had a fluky loss at the end. And those things just normally don't happen to the Patriots. And I think the public perception was that those things were part of the, the overall process with them as opposed to random results that generally don't happen to a team as charmed as New England. Um, but we, we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago. When, we, when you were going into the playoffs last year, the Chiefs did not feel like a team that was destined to make the Super Bowl, right? Even though they were the one seed. The Colts seemed like a team on the rise, but we had a ton of question marks about them. Houston was the same. Um, Pittsburgh didn't even make the playoffs. We were all sort of weirded out by the the Ravens. So last season also, weirdly, it was randomly unlucky for them at times during the regular season but i think it it the the deck was you know stacked perfectly for them in the playoffs given you know the the composition of the afc and that's that's how i felt with them firing uh, kansas city firing their defensive coordinator right after an afc championship appearance it doesn't really happen very often but it looked to me like kansas city left the door open for a lot of easy yards and easy throws for Brady, I mean, there were times where Rob Gronkowski is on the outside, lined up one-on-one with a cornerback, and you just sort of shrug your shoulders. I mean, this is as easy as it gets for Tom Brady to throw a little slant route to Rob Gronkowski for a first down and things like that. So the door was open for him to play against defenses in the playoffs that weren't as spectacular. But I was really intrigued last year with the way that they used so many different people to make it happen around 
Tom Brady, so many different weapons. I mean, here comes Philip Dorsett, which is a classic, like, New England picks up a guy and gets something out of him when nothing was supposed to be there. But even the way that they use the fullback every once in a while in the passing game, that they use the running backs in the passing game has, has always happened. But the usage of Cordero Patterson was so interesting to me that he's in the backfield at one point. He's running jet sweeps sometimes. He's going out for deep routes every once in a while just to surprise you. I, I thought it was a really good job around Tom Brady of providing him with tons of different weapons and a lot of guys who can be dynamic and do different things in that offense. What the, the usage of multiple players was what you sort of expect from Belichick, right? Like that's when he goes in the hall of fame and people say, what was, what was the three things that impressed you most about Bill Belichick? It's got to be the way that he takes random players from nowhere and finds the one thing they do well and then puts them in a position to do that one thing. I mean, they, their coverage is always a really interesting evolution over the season. And Chris talks about this a lot with the early season Patriots where they're just trying to figure out, okay, this corner, where can we put him that we know we, he can be the, the ninth percent himself? Where can we put he can't? And then let's figure out you know, where that's why on Gilmore – Having that guy in a place, you don't have to worry about him. Let me worry about uh, the other players on the field, the other corner of the field, and the time you to the players. That unit is maybe the best in the NFL playing at such a high level. You got a guy like Jason McCourty, who for some reason played well and then was let go by the Browns and has a you know top 10 cornerback season in terms of wins above replacement. I think that's always the story of the Patriots. And last season, I think, Eric, we were a little fooled. You know, they fooled the math a little bit, too, because you end up at the end of the the prior season and the Patriots are great. And then there's this little bit of regression that gets built in. And we see that happen over the course of the season, uh, you know, with with where the lines show up um, and where the model ends up uh, placing New England. Yeah, because I, I mean. Yeah, we did. We we weren't that great picking New England games last year. Really, four and six against the spread. Although uh, we got a few that were, I think, you know, against the NFC opponents. But um, what was interesting though was that they were undervalued by the market. I remember repeatedly we would do these, you know, right. these videos for for Sports Illustrated, and it'd be like, you know, there's value at New England plus six hundred. There's value in New England, and there was always this value on New England to win the Super Bowl, and it was always sort of weird to say, right? Because we always think that they're there you're paying a premium to bet new england but in reality last season in terms like people were gravitating more towards new orleans and and towards uh kansas city uh and the rams which we never really saw value in um and and sort of gave a decent price on new england if you bet them basically from like december on uh to win the super bowl and then weirdly once the super bowl happened right they opened as about a point and a half underdog to the rams and within hours it moved to like basically them being two and a half point favorites so uh it was a strange year for them i think your point on on coverage cannot be overstated jason mccourty was a player that the titans felt was unplayable he goes to the browns and he plays well by our grades and the browns for whatever reason trade him to uh, new england for a seventh round pick and now he's a starting corner and he was like the fourth most valuable player on that team stefan gilmore was a guy kind of struggled a little bit at the end of the buffalo days but gets a big free agent contract really only the second one to a defensive player in the last decade for New England. He struggles a little bit early last year, but then basically the last 12 games. And then this year he was one of the, he's been one of the best corners in the league. So again, just to, and then one other thing that I think just to sort of like underscore how good Belichick and, and McDaniels are is Edelman went from being a guy who sort of slowed down a little bit, basically took 20 games off and <laughs> came back and he was almost a win above replacement last year, uh, filling in for the shoes of Gronk who sort of regressed and them not having an outside receiver after Josh Gordon uh, got suspended. So just a really impressive year for them to, despite the fact that there were the bumps uh, along the road. Well, what was amazing to me is how they would adapt defenses, especially as they went down the stretch, Mm -hmm. to what they were facing. So in Minnesota, um, they started before the snap on a lot of obvious pass downs, not having anyone lined up with their hand in the dirt. Everybody was sort of standing up and moving around, and that was because – 
Kirk Cousins loves to make his read at the line of scrimmage and know exactly where he's going to go with the ball to execute the play. So if everyone is sort of standing up and moving around right before the snap till the very last second, it makes it really, really difficult on him. And then in the Super Bowl, to take some of that model that was laid out by Matt Patricia when the Lions faced off against the Rams and and use the same exact thing in the Super Bowl. And I asked Mike Zimmer last year about having linebackers not bite on play action, like what would happen? And he just said, nope, no, that's never going to happen. And I think that's kind of what we saw in the Super Bowl with New England is they were just not going to sell out for those play action plays to let the crossing routes come wide open over the middle because the linebackers would be sucked up and things like that. And it's just fascinating that a guy like Belichick could be in the league for so long and continue to be one step ahead of of everybody else in so many different ways. And like you said, George, finding different guys who can do things and get the best out of themselves and then also be able to scheme to whatever the modern offenses are doing and and with that it's like you no matter what happens early in the season you always say oh absolutely new england because they have these two guys belichick and brady they can always have a great chance at being there at the end yeah they saw how good the rams were at cover one which is their preferred coverage usually uh and then they run quarters in the super bowl just because they sort of can and they've experimented with how uh, that works with their particular personnel their zero rear- the zero blitzes Yep, that is yeah. So and and of course, Goff goes from being like one of the better quarterbacks in the league. They you know they saw a little bit of blood against basically the Eagles uh, and the Rams, and they just you know beat that uh, beat that down in the playoffs. So uh, really impressive year for them. As we look at sort of like going into next year, and then also week yeah, one, let's spin it forward. So their over under is currently eleven, right? So basically, right where they're at. Um, we have it a little bit, a little lower at 10.85. Um, but, and you are getting plus money to bet the under uh, on the New England Patriots. But do you ever, do you ever think about, I mean, is that something that ever crosses your mind uh, as you go into a season and you're looking to, to place money on win totals? I think, I think you always should. Um, you'd be naive not to, especially because everyone in the entire world thinks exactly what you just said, which is there's no way there's just no way. Um, but for the exact reasons that we just talked about, which is the experimentation that goes on, the fact that they probably could have the worst season in the past 20 years and still win that division. All those reasons should make you consider certainly uh, the, the fact that they could have a season where they win 10 games and they could still be a Super Bowl contender. Um, so I certainly am not rushing to say that they're going to you know, finish under 11. Um, but I, I think it's worth considering. And they have a bunch of new pieces, which I also think ultimately will will gel and will fit. But there are a lot of new pieces. Michael Bennett's coming in. He's going to re- be you know filling in some pass rush i think it's a really shrewd move i bet you he's 80 percent of trey flowers and and they're going to pay him you know just a fraction of that amount you've got Nikhil harry you've got maybe josh gordon coming back demarius thomas no rob gronkowski so there's certainly going to be a, a tinkering a pulling and a pushing of who does brady feel comfortable with in, in these situations when did these guys understand how brady's going to work Dontrell Inman, another guy that's new there. And then on the defensive side of things, they drafted cornerback early. They've got Chase uh, Winovich coming in, who should be great in that system at some point, but you never know how long it takes. And so I think for all of those reasons, I'm both very bullish on the Patriots this season, but not exactly running to take the over because of all those things we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, the undercash is last year, right? I mean, and, and again, as you said, the Patriots don't have to be a huge disaster for this under to hit. Um, and, and hence why I always think it's probably a strong play. If you are the type of person to bet your model, to bet all the unders for the good teams for which it applies, because you're going to get seasons like last year with the new England Patriots last year with the Philadelphia Eagles last year with the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's always things that go wrong. And these teams don't have to be huge disasters for them to go 10 and six, nine and seven. And for those unders to cash another good draft pick for them, Yadni Kahusti out of West Virginia really looked good. Kajust. In our, in our offensive line projections. Um, 
the the interesting thing when you go through the Patriots and their acquisitions, when they acquire players that are either sort of over the hill or unknown, it's always this like Dontrell Inman who has bounced around but had a ton of value for Indianapolis last year as a replacement player. Uh, and and it's just, it just shows you, you sort of go through and they just they don't make a a soft bet on players ever right they just they even even somebody like jamie collins is somebody i think that they can get some value out of uh and it's why you know you never see them sort of repeatedly weak at things isn't it interesting how they went about replacing gronk which was they didn't instead of trying to that's a lot of Nikhil harry shade well sorry Nikhil. uh but but trying to uh, because he's huge right his Mm -hmm. tight end size well but but they could have easily traded for Kyle Rudolph and that would have given you maybe half of what Rob Gronkowski can give you, especially in the the blocking where Gronkowski is one of the best blockers to ever play tight end. And Kyle Rudolph is clearly not. And the, the speed element, the vertical element, like you, you're not really checking off many of those Rob Gronkowski boxes because he's one of the greatest to ever do it. But if Belichick had been desperate, he could have said, okay, well, we've got to get somebody here. And instead, the answer is, how about we bring in a bunch more wide receivers, a rookie, mm-hmm. someone off the garbage heap that might yeah. secretly be good, and I know what they could do best, and, and so on and so forth. And I think that that was a really clever approach to replacing Gronkowski, is just knowing we can't really replace him. Yep. Um, their Super Bowl I, odds... I that's- the Super Bowl odds at six to one. They're basically the same break, break even as our model, and the reason why. So you ask, like, why? Why do we like maybe like their Super Bowl uh, odds, and maybe not, and maybe they're under? Is the fact that per our power ranking, the New England Patriots again have the easiest schedule in the NFL. <laughs> so, so there's there's a path, even if they do struggle against some of the better teams. And you look at like this this the AFC this year you are going to see you know the Chiefs are probably going to improve New Indianapolis is probably going to like they're going to have a tougher road of it in the AFC because there are some teams that are improving um, but they still have they still have their own division that's going to give them a, a an interesting cakewalk here so all right let's close out uh, the Patriots with this it's a uh, question uh, two questions here so the first question is week one there's six point favorites at home against Pittsburgh you have to take one side of that. What is it and why? And then secondarily, if a team from the AFC is going to dethrone them, who is it? Eric, you can start. Uh, I think I'll take Pittsburgh week one uh, plus the six points. Um, I think the Pittsburgh – I think I think Pittsburgh's undervalued uh, currently. Uh, and, and I think it, a lot of it has to do their defense is going to regress, be a little bit better this year uh, towards the mean. And I think that Ben Roethlisberger is going to have probably one more season where he grades well uh, for us after a couple where he's graded averagely. So um, that's me. Um, I think the Colts, I've, I've maintained, I think the Colts are probably the team that will sustainably take the throne of the New England Patriots should that ever happen. Uh, do you need, uh, on that second question first, do you need a general manager to unthrone? team because houston i know that they don't have the thickest roster they really have the high-end talent and who knows what's going to happen with Jadavion Clowney? i guess we'll see on on that if he's if he's going to play or if he's going to try to hold out or or whatever how he's going to do it but i i've always been a a deshaun watson believer as a guy who could take a team to another level Mm -hmm. and they've got one great receiver somebody else steps up and they could be really interesting. I think Indianapolis might be a stronger team overall, but I would throw Houston into that category of teams that aren't named Kansas City that could possibly unthrown the Patriots. Okay, and week one, oh, Pittsburgh um, or the Patriots? I'll go Pittsburgh because the Patriots just always do this where they don't play well at the beginning of the season and then we decide they're done. So I, I think that we'll have one of those. Brady will look like he can't throw a football anymore for like the second half, and then we'll all decide it's over. It's over. Brady's done. Their run is done. And then by week 17, we'll all be sad about that prediction. All right. I like all of the, the things that you bring up, but you're forgetting a couple of important characteristics of the Steelers. They are also <laughs> going to be feeling their offense out in week one it's true no antonio brown there that's a new uh situation for them and defensively a guy that is going to be a key component of that defense is a rookie so i have no doubt that he's going to have a rude awakening in new england and then pittsburgh really embarrassed 
the Patriots last year. And this is getting swept under the rug because the Patriots ended up winning. The Steelers never even made it to the playoffs. But the Steelers mixed up their coverage for the first time against the Patriots and were very successful winning at home. And I guarantee you that Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, and Bill Belichick will remember that. This is a revenge game for them. Ooh. So revenge game. I'm going. I'm going. Patriots by. They're going to win by by 15. Um, I, I would take the Patriots minus six if I had to. And then I'm agreeing with uh, Eric on the Colts, and here's why. Talent wise, I would say the Chargers, but. There's just there's just the Chargers, right? That's just not going to happen. The Chiefs, again, they've got the quarterback that you would say has the best chance of beating Tom Brady. But I just don't have the faith in Andy Reid as a decision maker. The one coach-QB combo that I have faith in is Andrew Luck and Frank Reich. Frank Reich has that ability, I think, to make the decision that goes against what everyone would want to make. He knows it's the right decision. He'll make them enough to eventually give um, uh, the Colts the edge. And so I, I would go with the Colts as I think, well. I think a general manager, too. I mean, to me, the, the mismatch between Reich and Reed isn't as stark as the mismatch between Ballard uh, and Veach, right? I mean, the, to me, that's where really where the Colts have the edge is that they're is that – they're, um, Well, but this – you're talking long-term. I'm talking this year. Okay. But but I, I, I agree. I, I think Chris Ballard is – a is a wizard and and we'll see here's the nice thing is if, when you accrue all these draft picks you don't have to hit uh big time you, yeah. you can have this slow matriculation of talent that eventually um wins over all right we're uh we're approaching the end here so real quick uh matt we like to talk about stories that we have from the cincy y ah nice because um, we we see some weird, funny things at the Cincy Y. It's a beautiful place. If you're in town, you should visit. It's a great gym. But you see some funky things. My story this week, actually, I'm, I'm on the road. I'm in Southern California. And I was at a hotel this past weekend. And hotel gyms are always funny. And what I realized in this uh, particular visit to the gym, I'm in a, in, in a place where it's pretty touristy. A lot of Europeans there. And I walk into the gym and there are three kids all fitted out completely in soccer jerseys, head to toe. They're probably eight to 10 years old and they're just running all over this thing. One of them's on the treadmill. One of them's doing like, you know, using eight different free weights to do a different exercise every six seconds. You've got a guy doing like pull ups on a pull down bar all over the place, off the rails. And the thing was, their dad was in there, too, doing really nothing even remotely close to a workout, but also not keeping his kids in check. And so it was the realization to me that I think on on vacation, there's a sort of willingness to just say, F it. (laughs) I'm not going to waste my time. And I ended up getting caught up in the middle of that uh, in a gym. So that's my story. Well, and, And you you do not allow a workout to pass by. So that must have been so maddening. I mean, you probably even work out harder on vacations than you do during sort of your normal time. So I can imagine how much that that irked you. Um, Matthew, do you have I a... I got it in, though. Well, of course. I mean, was there a doubt? Was there a doubt? <laughs> uh, Matthew, do you have any... Do you have anything... Uh, like, what's your favorite or best or weirdest, like, sort of gym slash basketball you know story so i don't go to the gym remember the eating pizza and wings and all that uh no the way that i get eating kale yeah i'll get staying as far away from kale as possible in fact if you gave me a leaf lineup i couldn't pick kale out of it so that's how far away i stay from <laughs> kale uh leaf lineup is going to be my band name anyway so what i do though is i go to the park every day and play basketball and then i play in a rec league basketball and so you see we are not the high level of rec league like there's recreation league of guys who play division one who are six foot six and like okay well we're staying away from that because those guys are amazing so it's a bunch of schlubs like me just having a good time but you do get the over competitive guy who commits a flagrant foul in the rec league we are we are high level enough to have 
referees. And in our last game, someone on the other team committed a legitimate flagrant foul, throwing a full shoulder like linebacker style into our guy driving to the rim. So the over-aggressive, will hard foul you guy on purpose going to the basket rec league player Do you feel is probably seen, my George? favorite. No blood, no foul. <laughs> George, here's, George. Here's the thing. When you're playing basketball, when I play basketball, I, basketball is the sport I played most um, growing up. And what I cannot stand is the playing basketball but not getting a workout in while doing so. Yes, so I like can't stand playing half court. I hate people that don't play any defense, that don't hustle. I feel and seen. what I hate most of all is when, when someone like Eric, who's one – his one advantage is that he's tall and, mm-hmm. and bigger, tries to leverage that advantage by just taking me into the post. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not standing for that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I yeah, I would say you're not flagrant, but you certainly you certainly are competitive. So I don't think Matthew's talking I don't, I don't about have you specifically. With that. I, I no. play physical no. and I play competitive too, but it's the guy who his team is losing and he's an adult and throws a hissy fit. It's yes. like, okay, guy, I mean, come on. I mean, we're, we're talking about we paid 60 bucks to play every Wednesday night here in this gym. Like, give me, give me a break, man. Or the guy who argues constantly with the referees, that's, what are you doing? I mean, how much are these referees making to be babysitting us here while we play five on five? Yep. Eric, I would say that there's a difference in that I try to match the physicality that I have to go up against. <laughs> and and that is very different than a guy who's like just, just trying to raise the level of physicality <laughs> to UFC fight when, when someone when someone drives down the lane, which is unacceptable. That's Absolutely fair. Unacceptable. That's fair. Now I I am though a trash talker in rec league for sure. Uh oh. So I got, Eric, you guys got to go play. Uh, I know we're gonna we go. Do. We're gonna we play do. tomorrow. Uh, Austin, me, and uh, Matthew are gonna play tomorrow. So. I, ma- I made a very nice fadeaway shot, and as I was going down back the court, I did like the Jordan shrug. The like, I, I don't oh, know. Nice. I don't know. I'm just dominating this rec league game. Can't be stopped. Just, just on fire. Don't don't shoot too many long twos unless it's the playoffs at the end of the game. In which case, yeah, yeah, long yeah. two. All of a sudden. A much better play. I don't know if you... We're, we're an analytics-driven team. Though. Yep. <laughs> uh, Matt, this was a blast. I'm sorry that I was not there to uh, to meet you, but we'll hopefully have you back again soon. Um, plug your uh, content real quick so that if anyone of the five listeners that we have is still <laughs> listening, they can go listen to you. Well, absolutely. If uh, anybody missed any of the shows that we did here, you can download our show Purple Daily on iTunes is one place to get it. Scorenorth.com, S-K-O-R North.com is where our website is. So you could go read my written content and that's probably it. I think those are probably the two best things to look for. The Purple Daily Show and Scorenorth.com vikings all the way yes Uh, eric i'll see you next week matt hopefully in the future awesome peace out see you Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.